ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Fitbit Pod. My name is Ben Lomas, and with me always is my buddy, Dil Rourke. Hello, buddy. Hello, Benjamin. Uh, you are coming in with uh, some incredible energy this morning. I assume you've yes. got, what, three coffees the in there? children already? are not home. Ah, uh, that's right. <laughs> right, right, right. That makes sense. And my energy is high because I am off to Bali tomorrow. So, <laughs> suck shit. Anyway. Look, we have to get into our guest. Uh, I guess it's a very good friend of mine. Uh, she hosts a podcast called No BS with M and is also works as a personal trainer. And it's exciting because we actually have a actual person who knows what they're talking about as opposed to having comedians <laughs> say, oh, yeah, I stopped taking uh, 10 beers every night and cut yeah. back to eight beers. I've been blending soybeans. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome to Fitbit Pod, Emily Walter. Yay. Thank you, guys. I am so excited to be here and talk about all your beer habits. That's that's totally fine with me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah. Me, and, me and Ben both have been off the grog now for, I don't know, uh, five years for you, Ben? Six yes, for me coming years. up? Five years yeah, come yeah. September. Um, yeah, right, right. Even though I look like someone who lives in the country and drinks a lot. I, I get that. Yeah, I do. I do have that look and that swagger. So, uh, but no, it's, it's all kombucha these days. <laughs> You've got the slur of an alcoholic. <laughs> I do. I do. It sounds like I've been pissed for since, since 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Emily. Here's the first question. How many... Uh, we were recording at about 10 a.m., right? Um, and because we're mates, I, I think I know the answer to this. Uh, how many workouts have you done already? <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know if you are going to ask me how many coffees have you drank already or how many workouts have you done. All right, both. Let's start with coffee. Um, look, I'm on my second, but I feel okay. like I needed my second to get through that boring little meeting I was just in. I've done one one full workout, and I always take the dog on the walk in the morning. So I'd say one. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You one. don't include a dog a dog walk as a as a workout. No, nah, not really. It's more of a it's more of a wake up ritual kind of thing for me. You know. So that that walks mainly for you for Phoenix. It is, but I feel like getting out before anyone else is awake in the city is like, it's nice because it's really busy where I live. So it's for him, but yeah. Do you live city, city, like city, city? No, I live in Brunswick East area. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I, didn't what, I didn't want to I say, are you guys are neighbors though? <laughs> I know yeah, that. They're in the hood. They're in the hood. Uh, East Brunswick Club. Hello. Uh, not that I ever go there. <laughs> um. But yeah, so Emily, what I love is, yeah, I've said to you, I find uh, it really cool that usually by the time I usually, I try not to hit on, get on Instagram till about 10 a.m. or whatever. Oh my God, I know who Emily is. I just realized I know who Emily is. I think I've seen you work out in the park. I actually, okay, let's get to that. Let's get that. I've just. I feel very uncomfortable by that phrase. No, because my daughter, (laughs) are you really tall? Are you really tall? I'm very tall, yes. (laughs) I'm hundred. I know this. My daughter has seen you because my daughter's really tall and, and noticed that you were working out. Because do you ever do sprints? Yeah, I do. I know who you are. This is amazing. I actually know who you are because my daughter pointed out. She's like, wow. She's like, look how tall and fit this woman is. And you're running really fast. Oh, that is so that is funny. You know what? That is such a compliment because I'm not a really fast runner and like I PT with these trainers who run marathons and do triathlons and stuff. And that's not me. So that is a huge compliment. Thank you. This has to be one of my favorite moments in the podcast we've ever had. The yeah. real, the penny drop for you. Yeah, like, yeah, it is. yeah it's I've, I've seen you tall bitch in the park running past me. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it's a very positive thing that your daughter is inspired by uh, Emily's movement, knowing that just because, you know, she's one of the taller girls in her class. That yeah, and a big ponytail because we were also comparing ponytails. <laughs> Yeah. yeah so right. yeah so. i love i love that i feel like girls are so scared to be like they don't want to be tall right and i was having yeah. this conversation with a friend on the weekend because she's almost as tall as me so i'm almost six foot two and she was she was telling me that she actually talks to her therapist about the fact that because she has tall friends she feels safer or like more yeah like she fits in a little bit more just because she has tall friends and you know the therapist the unqualified therapist that we are we were talking about it and she said Mm. 
she thinks it's because when she was in high school, she was always the tall girl who never, you know, got a partner because she was taller than all the guys in her class. Whereas for me, I never felt like I was, you know, an outlier or like an outcast because of my height. And I feel like now, like standing tall and being a fit tall woman is something that I love. But people who are as tall as me, women who are as tall as me, nine out of 10 times I meet them and they don't want to be as tall. Like they'll, they'll be like, Mm. they'll, they'll mention something like, oh, you carry yourself very well for being so tall, which I think is so interesting. Cause I've never thought to like, you know, you see a lot of like hunt shoulders or like trying to like stand down because they're so tall. I'm like, I've never, I've never really felt that. Like, of course I'd love to wear six inch heels and, you know, go out, but I'd hit my head on the door frame. So I've got to yeah. you know, watch what shoes I wear. But other than that, I love being tall. So your daughter, yeah. Tell her to, tell her to, you know, sprint around the park and be a proud, tall, tall female. In the so, conversations you've had with those other friends who are tall and you said nine out of 10 times, they feel like they haven't, you know, they're trying to small, make themselves small and not take up space. Uh, yeah. Have you found things that we're chatting to them that they've had that have helped shift their mindset? Like, their knees. <laughs> <laughs> it's not accept, that's not accepting of the height. Uh, why don't I solve this problem? <laughs> well, a lot of times, like, they won't. It's actually the opposite. I found things that don't help them, like, you know, people who, yeah. and I've had it time and time again, where if I'm wearing, like, any sort of heel, someone will say something like, you don't need to wear heels or why would you be wearing heels when you're that tall? Um, or vertical stripes. What's, what's that? <laughs> vertical stripes. Yeah. Just, like, just really pinstripe, pinstripe suit pants. You just like look like a tree. Yeah. I mean, you do have to watch what you wear sometimes because I can end up looking like a house. Like if my clothes aren't fit, fitted well, like I'm just, a, I'm not a tiny person and I'm, uh-huh. I think it's more, I think we're shifting a little bit more into, you know, like you might've seen Dilroka. I was kind of, it's kind of a bit of a like funny, funny topic, but it's actually becoming like cooler to have like short Kings is what we'll say. Like short King mm. ring thing in the U S but it's kind of, more- I missed that. What, what does that mean? What does that, what? So Dating men who are shorter than you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was- okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, so you're taller than your partner. I mean, I don't have a partner, but I, it's been a conversation because a lot of times, I guess, in society, we always think the male should be taller in a heterosexual relationship, right? Mm. And it's becoming kind of like a little bit of a trend right now, which I love because it's normalizing having a shorter male partner if you are a female. So things like that have been helping, but I wouldn't say anything necessarily helps. Like you actually just have to get used to it because there aren't a lot of women who are as tall as us. So as far as feeling uncomfortable being so tall, you've got to like, I mean, you might see yourself in a photo, for example, like all my friends are quite short in comparison to me. And yeah, you, you stick out because you're just the tall girl and you just kind of have to, I think, get used to the fact that you will be the tall one. And actually hunching your back or like hunching your shoulders over makes you look more awkward as the tall girl. So you may as well like stand proud and be, you know, have a dominating presence of it because that's what you're given anyway. You're not going to get high with boys in the playground. The highest never, it it is only discussed that like you're taller. So therefore you're better. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can take a bigger mark. Uh, You can uh, bowl faster. Like the difference still uh, between boys and girls in the, in the schoolyard is it's just not fair. It's almost like, like if we're talking real, <laughs> you know, like at a, at a, at a larger scale, it's almost like women are now starting to have more of demanding, uh, demanding presence. And we're kind of like stepping into our power and our voices mm-hmm. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So this is how I like, that's why part of why I love being so tall is because I think I do have quite a demanding presence, but in a like, as we should, like, we should be able to take up just as much space as anybody else, you know, you know, if that's physically or anything else, it's like, we should, we should stand there. We should stand tall. So for me, it's more of a, it's like, you're given what you're given, right. And you better work with it. So. Yeah. I think it's very, it's quite common. I think that the, the, especially if we're speaking like uh, in gender generalization, like a man with your height and build would, yeah. you know, would not seem out of place if they stood out in a group of, you know, their mates or whatever. I'd be like, oh, I'll wear this proudly or whatever. But we there is this 
real unconscious bias where there's like, like, oh, no, no, I don't want to like stick out, especially like it, it, in a heteronormative relationship with the, you know, boy and girl, like uh, it, it seem it seems out of place when, uh, when, when the, the girl is taller than the guy. But uh, I find as well in terms of the heightism that I remember seeing on Tinder and all the dating apps, mm-hmm. I found that quite I mean, I'm five foot eleven, but I found it quite offensive when the girls would have on their profile saying, "If you're under five eight, don't you know, don't swipe right on me or whatever." I'm like, "Well, that's isn't that a form of discrimination in terms of no, get like, yourself some Timberlands." <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a preference. Of course, you're allowed to have a preference, right? You you can be like, "I'm not attracted to someone if they're shorter than me," and I think that's fine. But something about explicitly putting it out there that really kind of uh, rubbed me the wrong way. If that yeah. makes sense. But it's also where you are in your environment. What 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 I found interesting is living in Holland is. Being uh, tall, uh, having big hips in Holland is just, that is the normal, that's the normal thing. Like, it, it's it's quite funny. It's the, uh, kind of the opposite of way that when you see someone who's short and petite, they're the ones sticking out. Everyone's the same height, so therefore the height isn't really discussed. Does that make yeah. sense? A hundred percent. Well, I find that here because being from the US, it's like my sisters are, you know, taller than average. And also some of my friends were quite tall there, but I also was on, you know, the volleyball team and, you know, sports team. Yeah would usually be a bit taller whereas when I moved to Australia I did notice just like the physicality of women specifically because that's who I was comparing myself to is quite smaller like it trends smaller than what I'm used to so it's actually just something to you know get used to and learn to accept that and in this days and correct me if I'm wrong but it's like because like if you do particular uh, pick a particular sport be it volleyball or a basketball or something you know it's not like you've just got five players on a team in one sub over there you have like a huge community like it's not just one volleyball team I assume it's quite a few volleyball teams yeah I think in my high school alone we had I think it was three teams you know above so for us it went from ninth grade to 12th so the freshmen would have kind of their own like league but then from sophomore to senior year you had I think it was three teams in total so volleyball was huge there but the other thing about, you know, the tall people is that people will always say, do you play basketball, which just is annoying. Like not everyone plays basketball, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just because you look athletic too, doesn't necessarily mean you do play. I think people just don't really know what to say. Um, yeah. but I, use, I constantly I use... get asked if I, if I'm a, um, you know, footy player, it just happens, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're rocking a perfect rig like mine. I mean, but, but I was one of those people that I played in three basketball teams. Like I was that I, I, I it was cause I was tall. I was just like I played. I played basketball. That that was the idea of doing another sport. Seemed unheard of. Are you allowed to say that you played if man you spent it on the bench? The, um, the uh, well, I, I made a reserves Melbourne Tigers under oh. 18s. Wait, that's I was coached yeah. by Lindsay Gaze, who was the head coach of the Melbourne Tigers. There you so, go. Wow. Uh, I take that back then. And then uh, <laughs> and except I did I did quit the team because I had to go all the way out to Dramana and I remember it. I uh, had to play for three minutes uh, on the whole game and then I was so nervous because I was trying to make it into the state team and then I missed the shot and then I got benched straight away and I remember driving home with my dad. He's like, do you like playing basketball? I was like, yeah. Do you want to keep having fun with it? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you want to keep playing on this team? I was like, no. <laughs> so you quit because of petrol? Equipment because of petrol prices. That's right. Um, so Emily, with uh, you um, and sports, so volley- volleyball. Were you always a sporty person in high school and stuff like that, and then that just kind of carried over? Yeah, I love sports. Like I played, I tried everything. So I softball, tennis, basketball, volleyball, and I used to swim quite a bit too. But I was really into running, like when I was in high school. So yeah, I've always been athletic. I've always loved sports and I'm a bit competitive. So it came out in that kind of way, but yeah. volleyball was the only one that I really stuck with. I was terrible at basketball and I I was good at softball, but like, yeah, just because you're tall doesn't mean you're great at sports. So talk to me, talk to me about the competitive oh. thing that you just mentioned. Uh, and can we come back to volleyball as well? Yeah. A specific example of where you felt like, oh, you're competitive likeness kind of kicked in real hardcore you ever- oh, I've got a, the example I think of is playing because vo- we used to be able to choose in gym class because our gym teachers in the U.S. are like uh, maybe they're the same here but they you know they just in want jail. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, uh, they just want to like set up a court and set a timer, right? And stand there and drink their Diet Coke and watch you do whatever you're doing. So the one time like that the competitiveness probably like kicked off was I remember it was a volleyball team and all the high schoolers were, you know, everyone in my class was in there playing and we had a few courts set up, but people wanted me on their team, you know, like guys and girls. And it was that like being able to beat the guys in, in a sport there was, that was when, you know, I really felt it. I was like, Oh, you're, you know, you're a bit competitive. (laughs) You're in 10th grade. And have you, have you found it being useful? Cause I always think this is, I'm, I'm trying to reframe things like things that I got told as a kid that was like, Oh, you're too this or you're too that. And I realized, no, those things have helped me as long as I channel it in the right way. And it's, and it's working for me rather than working against me. So. Mm, I would say I'm not overly competitive. Like I like to think that if I lose at the game of life, I'm okay. You know, I'm all right. It's, mm it's the sore losers against me or the sore, the sore winners, I guess, against me that I don't love. But I would say, because if I stick my mind to something, like I'm very driven to be good at it. I don't want to, I don't want to be bad, but I probably have humbled myself a bit in that I join teams or I do things like, like pole dancing, for example, which is my most recent thing that I'm like, you will be bad at this. So (laughs) go up and do it. Um, I think it's probably that competitive nature in me that like want, I think I compete with myself more than anybody else. So yes, it does help me. I think where competitiveness gets dangerous is when you can't decipher between what's actually going to maybe like put value into your life or others versus, you know, what's you losing a game of life or like a volleyball match and being, you know, so upset about it. Obviously there's learnings in everything we do. If you want to, if you want to go into that, but it, it's helped me a hundred percent. I think a key principle, sorry, Benny, uh, I think a key principle about uh, that, that, that you were saying that I'd love to drill on um, is that um, you went into, say, something like pole dancing, knowing you're not going to be good at it. And I find a lot of people when they're trying to pick up a new habit or change a lifestyle, there's so much pain involved in starting the process because the gap between your skills and what you hoped you were going to be are so far away that there is this feeling of wanting to give up because why even bother do you are you have you identified like the type of self-talk you have to try and push through the the initial like lack of skill to the point where it starts becoming enjoyable or is it kind of like the fact that you're bad at it is the joy in itself um I think there's always with something like this I think with something like pole dancing because my experience like I don't have experience even really dancing the level at which you improve each week, like it is quite noticeable. It's just like if somebody starts strength training for the first time and they get these like significant gains at first because it's something that they're not used to. But I would say like my mom, I remember one time she was like, why do you think so differently? Cause I'll talk about anything and I'll like explore anything. I don't care. I don't care what it is. If it's something I don't know about, I want to know more, or I'm just so curious. And she said, why do you, how do you think so differently? Because I come from like this Catholic small town background. Right. And I think it's because I'm persistent and consistent and very curious. So if there's something that I feel like I see that I love, or I'm like, I wonder how much work it takes for somebody to get to that level for which I'm nowhere near, then I like want to learn a little bit about it. So I set myself challenges all the time. Cause I think it feeds into our sense of purpose and what we do every day. So that could be something in work, but it could be something, I think it's so important to have things outside of just your work to try and work on, to improve yourself. And that could be mentally or physically. And so yes, with something like pole dancing, it's actually like the consistency, I think is what it's like, I tell myself, like I'm some classes I go to, there's this, this person next to me who's like an advanced level pole dancer and they always come and stand next to me. And, you know, we have like little conversations and last week they were like, do you realize how much you improve every week you come? And from the outside looking in, you might be improving, you might be making those improvements, but in myself, I'm like, I'm not too hard on myself. I'm patient with myself, but I know that it's, it's actually not that I'm going at it really in an extreme way. It's that I'm so consistent with it. And I know that consistency is what will get you to, you know, some kind of I don't really think there's ever an end point, but it'll get you closer to where you want to be. And that's yeah. the exciting kind of like journey 
Because that's the struggle I think right now that I'm going through post the the heart attack is that okay. that there's a lot of loss of fitness and a loss of um, skill that yeah. there's a lot of trepidation to go back to going to I'm doing it I'm trying to just get back on track and just like get you know even if it's a walk or whatever but I'm in a funk where the gap between like how quickly I dropped off and how much it's going to take to get back to where I was is so um, uh, disproportionate, you know, like, like it, I lost it very quickly and in order to re- regain it, there's so much effort. So there's this feeling of um, defeatist mentality that I'm fighting through, which is that like, I, it's okay that you're not as fast as you were back in March. You're yeah. still there. You're still out doing it. And the thing I keep repeating myself is no matter how slow I'm going, I'm still lapping the version of me on the couch. Like that is something I keep thinking about. And sometimes I, you know, propels me to keep going some like but I, I tell you what it's very fragile these days where the, the the feeling of just wanting to you know throw my shoes in the air <laughs> and just yeah. just catch an uber is very high i would say on that like i don't know if you are familiar with james clear work who's mm. the author of atomic habits but mm. something that he really I'll, I'll just to pause pause on that the, the the amount of times james clear has come up on this pod and how much i've i've uh, talked about it uh, a listener came to my solo show last year and got me to sign her James Clear book because oh <laughs> she started listening uh, reading it because of me and it gave us so much benefit so yes so we're very much a big fan of Clear but yeah so, go on. so familiar with that like and the fact that he'll talk about the consistency is actually what's so important there's that but I also think comparison and ego are part of like the enemy like some. Mm. You know, you'll hear ego is the enemy, but I think comparison to other people is another really dangerous thing that we can fall into because we're all so connected. And you might follow someone like me, for example, who's working out all the time and you feel like, well, I'm not there. So, you know, I'm here and they're there. And for you, that seems overwhelming because it's like I'm well, not near. And I think well, the social media I think Sorry, the social media is a key one because I will compare to friends who are trying to get back on track and maybe read Atomic Habits or try and get back to it, but they are comparing themselves to either friends or people on Instagram. But then I look at someone like my daughter who doesn't have that access to that. So therefore, any activity that's really hard, if you make it fun, then they're going to give it a go. And the consistency actually comes with the fun. But as long as she keeps trying and wanting to do it, uh, then eventually she'll find something like, you know, like I like the idea that, you know, she tries every sport and then becomes a volleyball player, for instance. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, wherever that lies but i think when when ego comes into play and you do have a lot of setbacks as an adult and also when life gets in the way as well like you know you know you know you know when people go consistent i've got to go to the gym every day or i've got to do three sets of pilates i think sometimes the level of consistency like you know dill said it's like even even if it's a walk that day because you rolled your ankle uh and really celebrate that even though that is nothing compared to the you know cardio you did in the morning and the Mm. weight session you did that night well, I was saying what I found challenging in the pocket that I'm in is that the, the comparison that is affecting my ego is ironically, or most interestingly, it's just a comparison to myself. Like that's what I think I find frustrating is that it feels like this effort that I put into the into developing my body uh, over the last four years since we, you know, Ben and I started getting healthy is like it's almost like there's so many new barriers that keep popping up, whether it's a hernia or a back injury or a heart attack. It's like, holy shit, this is like this. This is like trying to put a puzzle together, but the the, the picture keeps changing and and pieces keep falling off. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, my one now is if I'm not in pain, it's a good day. There you like, go. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or just like, like I'm doing a lot of parties at the moment, and then when I'm not in pain, like if I go back to I played squash three times this week, I beat someone at a higher grade than me and now it's like actually I feel no pain in my hips well it's weird it's funny that you say that because I was going to compare that then because I would say usually like for me it's like comparing to other people is not worth any of your time I think comparing to yourself and your yesterday for example your last week is is beneficial most of the time but I'll always explain to people in this way that if we if I'm working with someone on mobility, for example, so someone, you know, as we've just described, like has hunched shoulders, is sitting down at a desk all day. And over time, that just will compound. And it means that they don't have this kind of mobility, maybe in their upper body, for example. I'll, I'll have to explain to them that the amount of time you spend doing mobility each week, for example, is going to add up over time. But think about how long it took you to get into this state of, you know, whatever it, 
areas immobile, how many years or how how much you had to do to get to that state of physicality versus what you have to do to get out of it. It's not something that's going to be instantaneous, right? So mm. although you feel like, yeah, in comparison to maybe even yourself and what you've been able to do over the last four years, it's like, for you, unfortunately, it's something that was quite, you know, like with your health, it can be quite sudden, but it's like, think about how much time it took you to get to a healthier state of you versus how much time it's going to get out. Like you mm. can't, you can't jump right into it. And I think if you find yourself in the trap of being, feeling defeated, seeing other people do things on social media, for example, who might be at different fitness levels for you, then I think it's actually a very internal dialogue that you need to have with yourself that goes am I feeling motivated and empowered by that person or am I feeling like I'm comparing myself to what's going on and therefore it's making my mental health a bit worse because if it is you actually have to be honest with yourself and identify that because no one's going to do it for you yeah mine's just like Facebook memories of myself <laughs> going fuck he was fast well, um, I, I also like the idea of I also like the idea that all our listeners while listening to that bit had adjusted their shoulders and sat upright. <laughs> um, it's amazing with the shoulder though, but like with like people who sit at a desk all day, like you like you said, like people like you know how long did it take you to get your shoulders to be that stiff? How long did it take? And no one, you, no one can put a figure on it. You'd be like, oh, it's three years or four years, but to get rid of that, people were like, yeah, no, it took me 129 days and I worked really hard at it. Yeah. And you yeah. work really hard. And it's, it's consistency and it's small little goals. Like you'll learn in health coaching, it's just the small goals one at a time that you can tick off and you can try and understand why you may not have been able to do that thing for yourself that day if you're if you're not, you know? Because I think that's the problem that we've talked about on this part a lot, which is that, uh, you know, there's always the, the big goal that's exciting and sexy and, you know, it, but not realizing that there's tiny little processes along the way that need to be done that um that aren't as fun and sexy you know what i mean so you need that you need that for the story to to complete you need to do the boring minutiae and the thing is it's although we can be flashy on social media it's the quiet work you do that when no one's around and no one's watching that makes mm. the biggest impact so it's like yeah. you might see this thing and you might be wasting time scrolling on social media whereas that person who looks like they have what you want and again, looks like, because we, you know, once, once you get to one goal, you want something different, but that person who looks like they're there in your eyes has actually done a lot of quiet work on the side that you have no idea about mm. that is what got them to that point. So I think that's really important to remember is even though someone might be, you know, up pole dancing where they might look like they've got a really nice figure or they're really fit and they can run really fast. They've done a lot of work oh, to get there. They do an hour of comedy that looks like just talking into a microphone, not knowing that there was hours and hours of fucking boring obsession with one sentence. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or they've, or they've bought that block of land and designed the exact house you want to design on that block of land. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like it's a deeper story there. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's amazing. Um, just... Emily, speaking of comparison and, and, and the amount of work that goes into something, I really want to chat to you about your experiences with uh, competitive bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. So what, how long ago did you do it? Uh, and how many years did you spend in that world? So I did it. My competition was September, 2019. So about. So only like fuck three years ago. Yeah. Only about three years ago. Um, yeah. But that concept of time could feel like six yeah, months. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Like, like so <laughs> it doesn't weird. after these last couple of years. Let's yeah. say. Like oh. Five, <laughs> six years. Um, so my, really at the time, because I always feel like, as soon as I feel like I'm too comfortable in my life, I want something different, right? I want something to focus on or something to kind of, you know, level up or do something that I have never done before. And so my thing with bodybuilding and competition was actually it was it was me learning I think physiology it was me learning the science behind food and training and recovery and trying to just I was basically my own own experiment which is what I feel like I usually am which is a funny kind of way to look at it when you know, most people will compete so that they can get to the next level or that they can win or they can work alongside a coach and be 
I guess they'd say the fittest that they ever are. However, it's not, don't mistake that for being the healthiest they ever are because that's most right. definitely not the case. So for me, it was just, I, at the time I had a good handle on my job. I was working a nine to five. I didn't have a lot of like, I wasn't PTing at the time. I was just trying to compete with myself and see what mm. I could do in that space because I find the, the work behind what a bodybuilder does to get to that level of fitness, but also that low level of body fat percentage is like, it's quite an insane, you know, project really that they're working on for, well, you might think they were cutting. So like, you know, decreasing their intake of calories you might think they were cutting for four months, but the build up process to getting to that level of muscle that you need in order to see muscle when you strip the fat is for me, it was probably, I think it would have been a year and a half long process. So about two years out from the competition, I, I knew that I might want to do it. And not only was it two years out, you, yeah. And about a year and a half out, I went to my first like posing workshop to see how people pose when they're trying to do it, because you'll see people on stage and it feels so I can't express enough how unnatural it feels to pose and walk in the way that people do to look a certain way on stage. But it was also for me, I wanted to test my ability to be really objective with myself and my body because to build that much muscle and to eat that much food, to have the muscle again, to be able to show on stage when you had that low of a body fat percentage is actually a real tough thing especially as a female, I think to get your mind around because we're taught Mm. to always be as small as we can be, right? Mm -hmm. We're taught to eat less and to do cardio more so that we can be tiny little figures. But in the bodybuilding world, you have to build up, you have to eat more, you have to lift heavy weights and build muscle in order to look a certain way on stage. So it was my test with myself to see how well I could program my workouts how I could take that mentally and how I could look at the end because I chose to not work with the coach. And I think I was the only one that I talked to on competition day who chose to not work with the coach. So I just coached myself through it all. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Which would have been a lot of learning. A ton of learning and a lot of, you know, I will study what other people do and try because I'm not stupid enough to think that I'm the smartest person in the space, especially when it's my first time doing it. So Mm. I would study what other people's strategies were, but I would never compare myself to the other people who I knew were competing at the same time. I would take a look at what I should look like at the end. Right. And I was very much on my own path to getting there. And it didn't matter what, Because when you're doing something like this, people are interested. So they'll ask what your strategy is or what your process is, and they'll have their own input on what they think you should be doing. Mm -hmm. But you know your body best at that that kind of stage. And so I knew what I should be doing for my body, but it was a mental challenge to be like, at one stage I was eating, oh my God, how many calories? For me, which was Mm -hmm. a lot, it was probably about 3,800 calories a day. Wow. It and was just a- and it's all like 3800 calories but like clean lean not like getting it from a fucking mm-hmm. tub of ice cream yeah ideally too, it was it? clean and lean but the macro breakdown for each person and mm-hmm. as far as what your body can process and what your body prefers to use as energy and what it feels good on really varies so for me it was yeah. just to see what worked with my body mm-hmm. what would be best for me and what i felt really good on so that was at that stage i was like I knew the process. I knew what I had to do, but it was also hard day in and day out to, to build up. So I built up really slowly because if you build up slowly over time, you are less likely to gain a lot of unnecessary fat and you're more likely to build muscle, you know, use that fuel for muscle. Right. Rather than it being an overnight kind of like, let's have 3,800 calories. Were you vegan at the time? Sorry. But how did you measure that? Like, how did you, sorry, how did you measure that? Like, is that like, can you look, do you look like, do you look in the mirror and go, gee, the, the macros I've had that month has made a real difference with that workout? Or do you go, no, that didn't make a difference? So like, how do you to answer your question, Dork, no, I wasn't vegan at the time, but I didn't, I wasn't a big meat or dairy eater. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I would say vegans have an added challenge. I'm mm. now vegan and we do have an added challenge oh. in getting those macros. <laughs> Because first and foremost, like if you try and eat clean food on a vegan diet and get 3,800 calories, you will be, you'll, your stomach needs to hold a lot of volume. And that's <laughs> for me, and I'm an eater, like I can eat food, but for me, even that 3,800 calories, it felt like a lot of food to take in. 
Well, you learn to do things like put nut butter and, you know, a few things in a smoothie and you get it. But as far as how I measured. You wrote that down, Ben, nut butter. (laughs) I did. I do. I think I always forget nut butter is always a really good one for smoothies. I I just can't. I always forget it. I go to a place called Green Cup every Tuesday in South Yarra and I always, the nut butter, I love it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's um, amazing. To so answer your question, yeah. how you measure, are you asking how you measure like the success or, uh, yeah. So yeah, a lot of times it's in whether or not you're able to lift more weight. So your volume of training. So volume is obviously your reps times your weight that you're lifting. So if your volume is able to increase yep. over time, that's a measure of success. But it's also a lot of other things. And I think sometimes we forget that things like your quality of sleep, you know, how am I sleeping on this, this many calories? Cause as you decrease your sleep, you know, at the end, my sleep wasn't great. How do I feel? Um, how, how hungry am I? Because actually my main measure was how much food can, the goal was to eat, to get to as high of a level of calories as possible while gaining the least amount of fat as possible. So that as I started to shred down and lose weight, I didn't have to eat that few of calories at the end. So when I was on stage, I was still eating 2,300, 2,100 calories on stage. And I was leaving. And that was cutting. Yeah. Yeah. But that's because I built up so high. So my metabolism caught up to me because Mm. if you treat your metabolism, like it's getting no more food, because evolutionarily speaking, if we, if we know we're not getting any more food, our body will hold on to what it can to keep it, to keep it on us and to protect us and to have a little bit of fat on Mm. our body. So if you're training your metabolism, that it can eat more food. And this is what I focus on with a lot of my female clients right now is you need to eat food so your body learns. It's not in starvation mode and it doesn't need to cling on to any fat you have so that when you do start to decrease your food intake, it will be willing to shed a little bit of fat little by little. Again, it's consistency. And mm. yeah, by the time I was on stage, I was at 2,100 calories. And I was like, I could have maintained that amount of food, you know, for mm. a long time. Yeah. And so, and just again, just in terms of the uh, the Absolutely. amount of planning and stuff like that, that I think people underestimate is that, that do you remember like your given day, obviously you said you had a nine to five job. So that was fine. That was like on, not saying on autopilot, but you knew that was covered, but the rest of your headspace, did you feel like it was preoccupied by making sure your meal preps were done, your workouts were very targeted and like, you know, every week looking back and sort of readjusting and things like that. Was there a lot of headspace that that got preoccupied by this uh, challenge totally it's a very you'll hear people say it's a very selfish sport because i had to i mean i i yeah i mean you could probably ask my ex how my how my mood was but um yeah your mood your mood shifts a bit because you need to be you do need to be very conscious of all the other things throughout your day and throughout your week and weekend you know but i would say I'm someone who doesn't want to, you know, just because I've chosen this very privileged thing to do, I'm, I'm competing. I'm not going to make that, you know, I'm not going to impede on your weekend's activities or whatever you want to do. But because I had a lot of headspace at the time, because my nine to five was like, it was so straightforward and simple. And because I wanted another challenge, I was happy to give the rest of my headspace that challenge. But if I hadn't had that kind of, you know, I felt like I just had things together. So I had lots of time and space to kind of do this little experiment with myself. But that's where I think a coach would come in is if you don't have that headspace and that ability to kind of Mm. make adjustments or even have a really objective view that goes, you look like you've gained some weight, sister girl in the mirror. You know, if you don't have that mentality to go, I'm gaining that weight and that muscle so that I can cut down and look a certain way, then yeah, you would need help and support. But it's, I mean, it's even little things. Like I didn't drink for probably six months at that time. And I love training. So for me, that that part wasn't such a challenge for me because I Mm. just, I knew what I needed or wanted to do. And it's such a funny sport because you get up on stage and then they're like, your butt's not big enough or your, your shoulders and your, you you know, your figure on top is a little bit smaller than on bottom. So we need you to like, we need you to, because it's, it's all about symmetry in bikini competition. So that would be their feedback is, you know, we need to get that feedback saying your butt's not matching your shoulders. Mm. I, it was one or the other. I think it was that my back wasn't wide enough for the formation of my glutes. So like my glutes were 
developed enough, but my back wasn't wide enough, which I never would have thought because I feel that I have quite a wide back, but the symmetry between upper, lower, and then left to right, it's like, it's got to be on and that's what they're looking at. So that's, yeah. That's crazy. Well, that's just so crazy because then like you're developing symmetry based on your body and then they're determining. I think that was for me, that was one of my best learnings was that first of all first of all we always are trained again to look as small as you can but it's actually like because we think small is attractive because our society is messed up um but the actual fact if you look at the research on what attracts us to other people so on average the male will be more attracted to a specific ratio from the shoulders to the waist to the hips so it's not about being smaller it's about forming your figure so that it matches that ratio because they would test it on people who had really different size body sizes and shoulder mm. shoulder widths hips width and it didn't matter it was like if the ratio is on then that's what made you attracted. So for me, I knew in bodybuilding, it was about building your lats out and your glutes, you know, nicely so that your waist looks smaller. And that's right. a really cool thing. That, yeah, a bit of an hourglass figure, but it's actually not the as extreme figure, as like Kim Kardashian is making it feel right now. It's like, it's actually, it's actually achievable, but it's not going to be achievable if we always think we have to be smaller because then we're not building our shoulders, right? right. And then- The second thing was that although I had, you know, Mm. I think there was one female judge and two male judges and for them to kind of pick, they were picking your body apart because that's what the sport is about. I think it just taught me to go like, I can look at, you know, I can look at myself and I think that's the best I'll ever look as far as my musculature and my figure. But even at that stage, there are things that could be better. And so knowing Mm -hmm. that you can get to that stage and still be told you know, your back isn't big enough, or this was a little bit imperfect and then be okay with that, which I totally was. I got second place in the competition for my first go. So I was like, self-trained and for, and first go fucking A. Yeah. And the only one without a coach on stage. So I felt like I was pretty happy with that, you know? And like, yeah, the competitive person in me was like, let's go back for more so we can get first. But then I also thought I've learned so much from this. And that includes the fact that you can look as good as you think you'll ever look and you still won't be perfect in somebody else's eyes. So just get over it. Like if you think you look good, then go off, you know? I really, really love that you shared that because I think that applies to any aspect in our lives, whether it is looks, whether it's our performance. So let's say specifically in Ben and mine's case, like, you know, we can write what we think is our best stand up work. And there will still be people that it's just not their taste and would needing to be okay with that. Like I always think of the example of whoever you think is the greatest comedian of all time. There are people who don't think that they're that great. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's never same with music, whether even if it's music, you can, you know, you think this particular musician is incredible and perfect, but then someone's like, yeah, but they're just, uh, you know, a derivative of blah, blah, blah. It's like, shut the fuck up. But, (laughs) but I think that's really fascinating that your reaction in that moment was your, your approach to the competition was so, kind of you you were so aware of why you were doing it and you had the right it sounds like you had the right goals or success metrics that even when they were critiquing specifics about that it did not impact you in that negative way because you weren't necessarily seeking their ultimate approval it was more about you testing yourself to see how what you can do given these these restrictions you know what I mean and and I find that really fascinating because when you first said that my heart sank because to think that someone can put that much effort into to developing themselves and feeling so good when they looked in the mirror and feeling so strong and yet some fucking cunt goes oh your shoulders are too small (laughs) you know what I mean well yeah because even though you could you could put all this time and effort into training and then if your posing isn't right yeah your posing isn't right you get marked if your tan isn't right you get marked so at the end of the day it just taught me so much that, yeah, exactly. As you say, no matter how much work you put in, somebody is always going to have something to say, but I like to think of it more as information rather than good or bad. It's just like, this is why this is the information that led me to deciding you got second instead of first. And for me, it's just like, all right, cool. Like that's their opinion on that. And that's how I, I think that I, I run my day to day because I have opinions and I have viewpoints that are very different from some other people's and they may or may not agree, but I just think, at the end of the day, it's all information for us. And it's up to us what we decide on that. If if it's good or bad, I think it's actually neither. It's just what's led someone to make 
their decision on something. And how else has it informed your philosophy around, you know, uh, nutrition and exercise, um, especially with your clients or whatever? Did that give you those lessons that you wanted? Like, I guess, obviously, like you said, the big one being no matter how much you put into it, there will always be someone who doesn't appreciate it. So you better enjoy. And I think the key thing is making sure that you enjoy the process of something, because if you're doing this for the goal to try and make someone else happy, then it's going to be less satisfying if you don't enjoy the actual, you know, in your instance, like the, the learning part of it was what drove you, you know? Yeah, there was that. There was also like a couple more, I guess, like physiological things, which included like the food, because nine out of 10 times, my clients will always be trying to eat less food to lose weight, and they'll be doing more cardio to lose weight. It doesn't work like that. It's like, if your body's worn down to eating less and burning more, it's going to stop burning as much as you want it to. So I felt like I was kind of the science experiment in that where now I can show people, I can show people previous clients, but I can also show them myself and go, you actually can do it this way. And it will, it does work because I've tried it and I've seen other people try it and it works, you know, every time if you trust the process. So there's that, but there's also this, you know, I love, and you know, you know me that I love when women are in the weight room and lifting weights and off the cardio machines and actually moving some serious weight around because like there's so much mentally and physically that they get out of it. And I can see their progress, you know, week after week in being able to do things that they thought they couldn't, whether that be because they thought they weren't strong enough or they didn't want to go walk up, you know, to the guys in the weight room and pick up a weight or a cable and not know exactly how to attach it to the machine. It's things like that. It's like, you know, when you look at the whole picture, it's like a building of confidence and power and strength that I think we forget because we're always focused on what you look like physically. But once you Mm. get that down mentally, the amount that I feel like you can see people's spirit, like it's like they shine a little bit more, you know, like that confidence kind of comes out in everything they do. So yeah, that's, those are probably the, the major things that I learned from it. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it again. Like I definitely do it again. It's not a healthy thing to do. It's not, you lose your period for a while. You you can get really stuck in trying to f- look like you did on competition day and that's not how it's going to be. So if you're okay with knowing that and you can look at it a bit more like a challenge or an experiment, yeah, it might be something you do again, but it's not a sustainable way. Mm. It's like you sort of, now you understand the amount of effort it goes into it. And I also really, I think what I found, and I think Ben's the same We've what we found most impressive about that story is that you shot two years ahead of time. You went, okay, I want to do this in two years of time. Therefore I better start now. Whereas Ben, is it fair to say that you and I are more like, all right, what, what should we target for the next four months? You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bit. Yeah, I think that's why I'm fascinated that you were like, oh, well, in two years' time, I, I want to do that. That's that well, it's, planning. It, it goes back to that consistency um, piece, right? Yeah, it's I'm, like, I'm okay, you want to get healthy, you want to get lean, you want to get whatever you want to get. It's like have that vision, but know the small steps you need to take to get there. Like I started looking around two years out, or I started going to posing a year and a half out because I'm like, how can I be best prepared to not ruin my body in the process? But also I know what, I always know some kind of goal I have in mind and that could look like it's four months out, but a lot of times it's two years out. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about now? What is it in your life to finish us off? uh, What is in your life that you, you um, would say is your sort of, goals like obviously mentioned pole dancing as something like you know that you're new to and you're learning a lot from is there anything else obviously the podcast started uh, earlier this year yeah well. so what and what have you um, got in the in the works well I feel like right now I'm very much because I feel like I've done some learning myself and I think obviously we're always learning like I'm not gonna be dumb and say I know what I need to know at 27 mm-hmm. years old but I feel like there's more space for more opinions and more you know, knowledge to be shared. So right now, I think I'm in a space of like trying to impact more people with what I have. So even in the way that I've kind of stopped doing as much one-on-one PTing and I've been doing group training because I think that there's so much in community and building kind of like a space for everyone to share. Like it's not, now it's not just about what I have to share. It's like, I want other people to share, you know, to help, we can all be helping each other. So right now I'm, yeah, my podcast is all about sexuality and because I research sex education um, in my most recent degree. So it's about sharing, you know, information that's usually evidence-based on 
things like sexuality, but even in like my PTing, like these conversations are always being brought up because it all leads back to where you are mentally. And if you're worried about what other people think or comparing yourself to other people and afraid to take information as just information rather than good or bad or agree, disagree, it's, it's a, probably right now, my major goal is like learning a little bit for myself, but also trying to share what I learn with other people is, is where I am right now. So as far as physically yeah there's been a little bit of pole dancing I wouldn't say it's like more of a like very serious goal of mine although I do it I do it every week um Mm -hmm. but it's more about being very functional and honestly moving my bodies in ways that I find really hard like to give you this weekend for example one of my friends is she's just a fast runner like she's fast and I'm like scared shitless to go on a run with her because she's so fast and I'm like yeah okay if you're scared of it you better go do it and sometimes Mm. I get sick of myself because I'm like why do you put yourself in these situations but to be able to to yeah get a range of like viewpoints and different ways of moving your body and just to kind of spice it up a little bit right now I feel Mm. like it's where I'm at with with everything yeah. And and so in terms of having the knowledge, though, you still have all the knowledge of bodybuilding. So like, say, for example, if you had a uh, Sri Lankan comedian who just had a heart attack and was like, hey, I've got this goal for two years. You're like, OK, cool. I've got this. Sh- I know what you need to do. It's honestly if someone trusts, if I know that the person's going to trust the process and go along with me, 100 percent, there's no one that I think uh, you couldn't do it like you could do it. You put your mind to it and you mm. listen and you're you have that ability to yeah adapt a little bit and do things that might not feel like they're right for you, because I might tell you to eat more food and you're scared to eat more food because mm. you think you gain weight. And it's just like, mm, trust the process. If yeah. the person has some experience, they're probably it's, on the right track. It is it is counterintuitive, isn't it? When you think of like, <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for, for taking your Looking time and sharing Ow. all of that with us. That's very, um, I fu- look, I, I'll be honest. I, I want to you... fucking go do some pole dancing now after that. Yeah. Wanna... <laughs> well, my thing is this, if I had to break down goals, Amazing. specifically uh, pull up, um, uh, pistol squat, yeah. <laughs> and a handstand. Those are the things that I've always wanted to, in terms of like, those are some big goals. Like people will work on, the, I'll work on those goals for years before I get there. So yeah, it's distancy, baby. You can do it. Of course. Yes. So your podcast. So my podcast is called BS with M. Yeah. Um, it's only on Spotify, I, uh, plugs, at the moment, but otherwise plugs, 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 you can find me plug, on Instagram is where you'll find me. Emily Walter, W O L T E R underscore. Excellent. Thank you so much, Emily. Uh, ben, uh, we've got our Patreon, patreon.com slash pod, as well as our Instagram, still J and Ben Lomas comic. Uh, I'm going to be and, in Darwin and- August uh, 9th and 10th. Uh, performing my show delicious for the last time so come down there uh otherwise and patreon oh. uh, just on the on the patreon uh new patreons have come along oh, and also yeah. just just a big thank you to uh, all the parents who contacted me about the the gambling episode mm. uh, a lot of uh parents who are very uh, angry that their kids watch sport and have to sit through gambling ads i was quite surprised by the amount of uh, responses I got um, and uh, a very passionate topic. So um, thank you for all your messages. One qu- um, yeah, just because you mentioned the listeners, one quick shout out to Josh Button, who just completed the Gold Cross Marathon. Uh, uh, yeah. And he uh, he had been listening to our podcast for the whole five hours that he ran, which is fucking Amazing. cool. That's so awesome That's to really know cool. that we well are motivating someone enough to be in the middle of a marathon listening to our bullshit. I love it. Thank you so much, Josh, and congratulations. Awesome. Uh, I've been Ben Lomas Comic. Uh, thanks again, uh, Emily. And uh, yeah, I'll see you around. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. You guys can catch up in the park next time and do sprints with uh, the <laughs> 